Hello and welcome to the Story of Hope podcast, where we are sharing the stories of how Bible, the Bible and Bible translation bring hope to the people groups of the world. My name is Esther, Esther Smith. I am the front person of Eversmith. We've been in partnership for many years now with Wycliffe Bible Translators New Zealand, and uh, we've been the Next Generation Ambassadors and are now the Musical Ambassadors. And I'm here with my co-host, Alex. Hey, I'm Alex Winslade. Um, I work at Wycliffe New Zealand doing a lot of communications and just getting the word out about what Wycliffe does. Um, and today we have the privilege of being joined by Mark Penny. Um, would you like to tell us a bit about yourself, Mark? Yeah, hi, I'm Mark. And um, people ask me where I'm from. That's the hardest question they ask me. I do know where I'm going, but I do have a background of uh, growing up on the mission field and now having spent uh, just over 20 years um, working in South Asia with Wycliffe. And I'm um, uh, counted a privilege to be here on this podcast. I'm sharing with you what God's been doing. Yeah. Cool. Awesome. It's awesome to have you with us, Mark. And this is my first time meeting Mark as well. So I'm very excited to get to know you a little bit as we record. Um, yeah. Welcome to the podcast. You probably mentioned also that Mark is a Whitworth New Zealand member. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> very cool. Uh, so, yeah, we have a practice here at the Story of Hope podcast of praying for five nations every time we join together. And our nations this week um, are Eritrea, Estonia, Eswatini, which many may know as Swaziland, um, Ethiopia, and the Falkland Islands. So we would love to have you pray for these nations, please, Mark. Sure. I was also like you, I had to say, Eswatini, where's that? Oh, yeah, okay, Swaziland, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And as we bow before you um, today, I thank you that we come with that knowledge of, of, of you and that the fact that you are the only true and living God. Lord, you are the God of the nations and you but a heart for each nation. We look at these countries here represented, Eritrea, Estonia, Swatini, Ethiopia, and the Falkland Islands, Lord, and we, we commit each of these nations to you, Father. We ask that you would continue to protect your people who represent you and hold your name dear, close to their hearts in each of these places. Lord, we know the trouble in Ethiopia continues to brew and get worse each day, and we ask for your Mercy on that country particularly, Lord, that you would help those who are working toward peace to be successful in all that they do. Mm. Pray for those who are uh, causing trouble and violence and killing and pillaging and just causing turmoil, Father. We pray that you would thwart their plans. Mm. We pray for all those who are involved in, in trying to bring peace in that, in that troubled area at this time. We also pray that you protect your people who are serving there at this time, those who are involved in Bible translation work and other ministries. We ask that you would give them wisdom in knowing how to live each day. But they continue to look up to you for their help, for their strength, for their protection, that you would continue to work in them and through them to the people that they minister to. And Lord, for these other countries, Lord, you know um, what's needed in each place. And we ask for you to provide for those who are there each day, that they would continue to serve you faithfully, that they continue to make you known. And Lord, for the teams who are working on translation, that you give them insights into the culture, insights into the language, 
that they would be able to translate your word faithfully in a way that communicates best to the people that they're serving. Lord, we just thank you for each of these countries, Lord. We ask for the leaders of these countries to um, have wisdom as they lead and as they govern, particularly, Lord, as the pandemic uh, continues to affect every country around the world. Lord, we ask that you would help them to have um, insights into how best to handle pandemic for their own people, how to how to go ahead. So Lord, we give you thanks for the privilege of joining you in your work as you bless the nations, as you promised Abraham. Give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Mark. Um, so we like to start with some icebreaker questions before we get into the Bible translation-related ones. Um, so the first one we have for you is, what oh, if you could have any view from your desk, what would it be? Well, I've had a fair few views from different places that I've worked. Um, the blank wall that I stared at for almost 15 years in India was um, pretty monotonous and there was no <laughs> view at all. There were three of us who sat side by side staring at this blank view, <laughs> of a blank wall um, with no windows. But we could step outside. And as I stepped outside, I'd look out over to the hills where the, the people that we were serving lived. And it always gave me that longer term perspective and sort of you know, mm -hmm. seeing further afield. Um, in our last few years in India, we actually moved up into the hills. Um, and it was a beautiful place because it was cool. Instead of hot and dusty, it was cool. Um, but we lived right in the center of town, which was great, next to some carrot fields, of all things. So wow. we had the people planting carrots here. But as you looked up, you would see these hills in the distance and uh, just be reminded of God's grandeur and, and, and that. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, right now I'm in Auckland and I can look out from our sitting room and dining room across the Manukau Harbour, across wow. the Bombay Hills. Mm -hmm. So hills have always featured um, in, in some way, but I think part of it is just to be awed by um, the grandness of, of hills and mountains, but also to have that long-term perspective, things in the distance. So, yeah, anything mm -hmm. with, um, with those things makes the view awesome. Mm, that's very cool. Yeah, I hadn't made the connection between hills and grandness and things in the distance. It's quite cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like the in the distance thing too. That's really, I like that. Mm. When you're staring at a screen for most of your day, it's nice to lift yeah. up your eyes into the hills, right? And see yeah. yeah. In the distance and do that. Yeah, yeah it's so true. Um, so what is one piece of scripture or advice that has encouraged you recently? I was thinking about this on Sunday, um, and I was reminded a few weeks ago I was really struggling um, with, I don't know if you'd call it admin overload or admin fatigue or just it's too much or it's just one more thing I have to do or take care of, and it was all getting a little bit discouraging. And I remember getting to the point where I said, okay, I want to give up. I just want to stop and go back to doing something else, you know, just, just leave it. But I closed the door, I locked it behind me, and I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, I need to hear from you. You show me what you want me to do, because it doesn't really matter what I want to do. Mm. And um, I thought, well, what now? So I opened my Bible reading notes, as usual, and the passage for the day was Isaiah 40. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, um, chariots of fire and all that, renewing your strength and all that. But what hit me were not those verses, but the verses a little bit earlier, um, in that same chapter, um, verses 6 to 8, I'll read those. A voice said, shout. I was ready to shout. I asked, what should I shout? 
Shout the people are like the grass. Their beauty fades as quickly as the flowers in a field. The grass withers and the flowers fade beneath the breath of the Lord. And so it is with people. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Yes, that's, that's so true. We've got this privilege of working with God's word, which stands forever. And in fact, we have a, the privilege of working with people whose souls last forever as well. Mm-hmm. And so nothing else in the world compares to that. And just being reminded of that was, was beautiful. But um, yesterday I opened my Bible again and thought, ah, is, is that the right verse to share or not? And uh, the reading yesterday was First Peter 1. And uh, lo and behold, people are like grass. Their beauty is like a flower in the field. The grass withers and the flowers fades but the word of the Lord remains forever. And I'm thinking, okay, Lord, you've hit me twice with that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, no, and I, I'm getting it. I'm slowly getting it. Um, so just, just to be reminded of um, yeah, the enduring word of God um, was, was really special. And that the things that he's called us to are no small thing. They're, they're amazing. Um, yeah, so just to be reminded of that and encouraged by that. And I, I love the way the Lord always meets us at our point of need. Um, mm. Just the word that, that that we need for that day. So yeah, it's cool. Reminder, and I always love when you're sort of doubting something and God just says it to you again. You're like, oh right, yep. <laughs> just in yeah. case I thought I was making it up, here it is again. Boom. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah that's yep. awesome. Super awesome. Well, we're super excited today for our Bible translation related questions because we have some questions that were submitted by listeners. So we've got some of some of our questions, some of their questions. I'll let you know which ones are which when we do it. Our first question is from us. It's how did you first get involved with Wycliffe and what roles have you served with them over the years? Okay. Well, I need to take you back to the early 70s where I grew up on the mission field. Uh, my parents worked with Operation Mobilization mm-hmm. and uh, OM, and I saw firsthand the impact that um, Christian literature had on people's lives. You, know, you could give them a book, they could read it, and their lives were transformed. So that, to me, was, was quite, quite good. Later on, my dad worked for the Bible Society. Then I saw things from another whole perspective, you know, actually producing the scriptures and getting them translated and out there into people's hands. So I, I was very privileged to have that sort of a background. Wow. Um, but I was interested in computers and electronics, and I went off mission field off to university and studied studied those things and thought nothing of it. Um, yeah. But it was in those university years that actually God challenged me um, about being involved in, in, in missions. And it's not where I was heading. It's, you know, I wanted to just go and get a good job, settle down and, and do those things. But God had different plans, and so he started to speak to me about the peoples of the world um, who who needed to hear. So it wasn't initially um, Bible translation that I was interested in. But um, my wife, who um, she also grew up in the mission field, but we we met later on in life again. Um, She was also called to missions, and uh, we both realized that we were both headed into, this is before we were married, into missions somewhere in Asia. And so we figured we want to work together. And she's the linguist. Um, she's the linguist. And so I was the computer guy. I said, okay, we can, we can make this work. And um, eventually we um, checked out various different missions and decided that in Wycliffe we could actually serve together. 
um, not just you know one person's a doctor and one person's uh, some other thing, and they you know they happen to live in the same house, but their their trajectories are very different. Um, whereas here in, in Wycliffe, we could serve together, and um, that was very important to us. So that's how we first got involved in Wycliffe. Um, we ended up going back to South Asia to train people um, there. So our main aim after being trained by SAL and Wycliffe was to train other people to do Bible translation well. And we did that and really enjoyed that um, uh, for the first five years that we were there. It soon became obvious that we... Um, we could only train what we had been given and we'd had no experience ourselves. Mm -hmm. So on, on the advice of others and, and our own realization, we really needed to get Bible translation experience ourselves so that we could be more effective in, in training other people. Wow. And it was um, one of our students actually who invited us. He said, Mark, we've got this huge area and there's more than one language going on. There's these different dialects. We have no idea. Can you come and help us? So we joined there. Um, project and actually worked uh, alongside them in the neighboring um, district in the neighboring state and on the neighboring language so that's kind of um, how how we got into into that um, I've continued to use my computing experience and um, often you come across a problem you think this is this is donkey work this is drudgery surely the computer could do this part for me. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, on the spot, I'll, I'll come up with some software and develop something that helps not just myself, but others later um, to, to, do a, to do a particular task. So, um, yeah, essentially I'm lazy, but I'm very hardworking to get the computer to do that donkey work for me. So that's kind of how, how it works. Um, my wife has trained to be a translation consultant, so we'll hear about what they do a little bit later on. Um, so she loves delving into the Greek and the Hebrew um, and helping others make sense of what it means um, so that they can translate God's word effectively. So that's kind of, um, yeah, where we're at. So, yes, we have done translation, but our main focus, long-term focus, is translate, tra training others to do translation well and empowering them to do whatever God's called them to do. You might be planning to speak a little more to this later, but I would love to hear one of the examples of the software that you've created. Sure, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll come to that later. That'd be good. Okay, yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah, um, so what are some highlights from your time in the mission? Um, for me, being a technological person, some of the um, cutting-edge workshops that we've been part of, um, just pushing the boundaries and going where nobody's gone before, um, those have always been have been fun. I remember the days of you know the old sort of dumb phones. This is before Android phones and almost before the iPhone. Those sorts of dumb phones and trying to get them to get scripture on there, you know, with all wow. Java apps and things like that. So some of that was pretty cutting edge. And then you figure out how to do it, but then you've got to work out how to help other people get it done. And this is before internet, right? Yeah. So how are you now going to distribute scripture onto mobile phones without internet access, right? Those are the kinds of challenges that you, you know we had to deal with at the time. And it was really great to see how God would bring people alongside us, either with knowledge or with funds or with other things that just made it work. Each of us in ourselves didn't have the ability, but working together with others made it possible. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that was very cool. Um, and then, as you say, making, you know, 
doing things that help other people to get the job done. So um, one of the tasks I found early on was the is a process of comprehension checking and writing questions that help people understand whether help you know whether they understand the text or not. And so having tools to help them develop comprehension questions and to generate a script that people could use to, for testing and what the expected answers are and those sorts of things, um, that was something I pioneered um, probably 10 years ago. There was a lot of pushback from experienced consultants because they said, oh, you can't, you can't use canned questions. You've got to think up your own. You've got to do this. There's a lot of pushback. But, you know, five, 10 years down the track, people are using it. It's very helpful. And people can adapt it as they need to. So that was, you know, one of one of those things. Wow. Um, but I think some of the highlights come from saying no. And I'll give an example of that. Um, one of our mission partners, um, his name was Paul. He would keep coming to me um, every few months. Oh, Mark, there's this really good tract. If you could translate this into that language. People could use it, and, and you know, we'd, we'd go away for a week or so, work on that, give it back. Oh, we've got this this really good movie. If we could dub this into Gandhi, we could, you know. And he would, and he would time after time keep coming back with things. And then one day I said, to Paul, no. I said, um, you know that we're trying to translate the Bible, and I know that you want that to happen. But as long as you keep bringing these little projects to us to be translated, we're never going to complete that goal. So even though this is a great resource that you got to be translated, I'm not going to do it. Sorry, no. And he kind of was disappointed or upset or whatever, but he went off and found somebody else who could do his little project for him. And it turns out this guy was very, very gifted as a translator. Wow. And we ended up recruiting this other guy, and he became the primary translator and now leads the team. Wow. Right? So by saying no... In one way, we open the door for God to expand that team and to grow things in a better way. So that was one example of saying no. There's there's lots of other times I've said no. Um, another time, for example, the education department, they saw the dictionary that we had created and they said, um, oh, they called me into the office and sat me down and, you know, they said, well, we, we really like this dictionary that you've made, but we want you to do this now in seven other languages in the state. I said, no, I said, no, I, I can't do that. I won't do that. I said, but if you provide the people, we can work on it together. And that's what we did. So the government provided the people, the training, the result, that we provided the expertise. And, and uh, you know, a year later or so, or 18 months later, we had uh, dictionaries in eight languages, not just one. Wow. And so that, that kind of saying no at the right time to the right people in the right way um, has, has really been it's been good. Um, yeah, I should probably pause there on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's quite an interesting thought. I guess when you're saying no, you're prioritizing in your head what what is it that God has actually called me to come and do. Exactly, and, and focusing on that. Yeah. Mm, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, I think sometimes we tend to in the church fixate on the yes be yes and miss the no be no part um, mm -hmm. and feel the pressure to be all things to all people when that is important sometimes, but we also need to have a quality no, and that's powerful. I love that testimony. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think, Alex, coming back to what you said, um, 
knowing what God has called you to is the first part of that, right? Yes. And, that's, <laughs> and you don't often know that till you're a lot further into your ministry. You're quite unsure about it. You think this, but you're not convinced. But the further you go in your ministry and you realize what really makes you tick, what makes you run, what makes you or energizes you rather than just drains you, mm-hmm. um, that's, that's the point at which you can start to say no. Because mm-hmm. till then you're just you just want you're just having to do whatever people ask you to do. But yeah. at some point you realize, okay, this is what I was made for. This is what I was created for. This is what I'm good at. This is what gets me out of bed in the morning. And I want to say yes to that fully. And therefore I have to say no to some of these other things that I'm also good at. I can do. I've got the ability. Yes. But it's not why I'm here. And that's that's yes. yeah. That's actually yeah. I was listening to something this morning that was it was quite challenging saying um, your purpose is not your potential because you have the potential to do so many things, but what is the one thing that God has graced you for and called you to? Because um, I think if you're pursuing all the things you have the potential to do, it drains you from doing that. Yeah. Yep. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Uh, we now have one of the questions from our listeners, and that question is, what is involved in the process of Bible translation? Could you give a brief overview of the typical Bible translation process from start to finish? Yeah, now, this was a really good question. Um, I'm going to spend some time on it. One, because there's not one answer. There's actually two answers to this. Because what do you mean by Bible translation? Do you mean the sitting down and working on Mark's gospel? Or do you mean the whole process of Bible translation from beginning to end? So yeah. I'm going to do both, if that's okay, and if we have time for both. That's great. Um, so let's look at the macro, the long-term thing. Um, we spent six months, even after we moved to the area, waiting, waiting, waiting to establish contact with the people that we felt God had called us to, to work with. Um, praying that we would find the right person to work with, praying that we'd find somebody to to teach us their language. So waiting to establish contact was the first thing, and uh, there's a lot of waiting. And then working out where this language is actually spoken, and if there are different varieties, which one is the prestigious one, and which one should we be translating into if there's multiple dialects within within the same language. So working out where it's spoken, who speaks it, why they speak it, when they speak it, all those sorts of things, surveying the language. And then you start off with language learning, and it's literally, what is this? And they go, stone, what is that? And they go, leaf, what is this? And it's literally, what is this, what is that? And then what am I doing? What are you doing? What is he doing? What is she doing? And then you're trying to writing it all down and trying to work it out and trying to remember it. Um, so documenting what you learn as you go. And then developing the written language. Um, And by that, I mean working with whoever is interested in preserving that language, whether it's the government, whether it's the people themselves, whether it's linguists, whether it's academics. Um, You know, you're working with whoever is trying to develop that language and you're seeing what they've already got and how we can go go further. For us, we were very fortunate because an anthropologist had come in and done a lot of work 40 years before us and documented all of that. So we had all of that to build on. It was a great foundation. Um, And then the whole thing of, okay, we're starting to learn the language, but how do we share what we know with others within the community? Because everybody else who comes to work with them comes, studies their stuff, writes a book in a language that they don't understand and disappears, and, and that book ends up in a library somewhere. And my whole point of being with these people is whatever I produce, whatever I do has to benefit them, it may be a benefit of 
to some other people, but it primarily needs to benefit them. Mm. And so um, right from early on, we worked on word lists and uh, recording their stories and writing them down and putting them into books for them. Of course, I've talked about the dictionaries already, the grammar of the language, wow. phrase, phrase books. So if they, they speak their language, they want to learn another language, they should be able to do that. And vice versa, people who are outsiders need to learn their language. So mm-hmm. phrase books was another thing. Um, so lots of different things. We've, we're not, we haven't talked about Bible translation yet, right? <laughs> we're just getting into the language, getting into the culture, understanding yeah. their festivals, videoing their stuff, giving them photographs of themselves that they've never seen before. You know, wow. It was quite a novel thing before mobile phones and screens came up, right? Just being able to photograph events and give them back photos, you know, a few weeks later. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, finally starting on translation of Bible stories, which are the stories that are really going to apply to these people? So, for example, for rural agricultural communities, the story of Ruth was a brilliant one. Yeah. Jonah was an easy story to translate, but had no relevance to them, really. I mean, they, the most they'd seen is a little river, right, let alone an ocean or, a, you know, Maybe a lake. Um, so Jonah was a little bit harder, but um, stories like um, the parables of the lost coin, the lost son, lost sheep, those stories you know, worked well, Jesus' parables. Um, so it's gradually getting into translation and understanding you know, how, how this whole works. Um, we eventually did the Gospel of Mark, and um, you, you translate one book at a time until eventually the whole New Testament is done. I'll talk about the details there in the, in the next thing. Um, but meanwhile, you're busy encouraging local ownership and trying to build a community of people who want this translation to happen because they can see how beneficial it will be to them. Mm. And whether that's educational uh, institutions and the government or whether it's the church and the pastors and the evangelists, you know, you're, you're serving both at the same time right, mm. in different ways. And then building everything that's needed technologically to make that possible. So in our case, they had an ancient script and we had to develop a font for that. Wow. Well, you have a font, but now you need a keyboard to type it in, whether it's yeah. on a laptop or on the web or on a mobile phone, you still need to be able to type this stuff. Wow. Um, and, um, yeah, and then there's, there's other things like, you know, we've talked about the books and stuff. There's comics, there's to Jesus film. There's, you know, there's just so many different things that you're working on. And what you're trying to do is get them you, get them developing um, materials in their own language. When they start writing their own songs, their own stories, you realize, okay, this language is now starting to, to live again, not just audio as in spoken in the, in the markets and the homes, but it's taking a life of its own into books, mm-hmm. people writing their own books, they're writing their own histories. Wow. So that's... That's kind of the big picture. And once they're excited about the language, you can kind of back away because it's going to go. It's going to spread like wildfire. Mm-hmm. So that's that was our thing. So that's the big long-term picture, and that process takes, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, mm-hmm. in some cases longer. Um, on the micro side, when it comes to doing Bible translation, what are the different steps that are involved in that um, the first thing is reading the text and understanding it. And so whatever languages the translators understand, they need to read God's word in those different languages. So it may be Telugu, Hindi. They may know a little bit of English, but they're uncomfortable with it. So reading to understand, because until you can understand it, you can't translate it. Yeah. All right. 
this is where it comes back to machine translation and all this sort of stuff. They say, you know, oh, machines are going to do all this for us, but you have to understand the text in order to translate it. Right. Okay? Um, once you've figured out what it's trying to say, then you draft it in your own mother tongue, and then you reread and, and work with others to improve that draft translation. You're then checking that you've got all the right technical terms in each verse and that they're spelt right, they're consistent between this verse and another verse, and that's where the software really comes in to help you. you know, it's not helping you translate, but it's helping you be consistent in what you're translating. That's cool. Um, and then... When you think you've got it right, you've got your footnotes, your cross-references, your pictures, your captions, all of that is put together. You think, okay, now I'm ready. You then have to take it to the people and start checking with them. Well, what do they understand? And that's that comprehension checking process with questions. Um, I think, okay, yep, they get it. And just when you think you're ready to publish, you go, no, 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 this has to be checked by a consultant now. This has to go to an external reviewer who checks to see what you've done and what the team has come up with and make sure that it is accurate, it's um, clear, it's natural, and um, it's also acceptable by the church. So those are the things that the consultant is looking for. They're making sure that we haven't added anything that we shouldn't have added and we haven't missed out anything that, we should, have, you know, that should have been in there. And often they're the ones who will help us with something that we don't understand and we can't understand because the Greek is funny and all the different translations translate the same verse in a different way and you think, what is going on here? Mm. And that's when the consultant can come in and really help. Um, but for the consultant to do that, they need to see that translation in English. Mm. So it's not one translation, it's the second one as well. So you back translate back into English wow. and that's been actually my job for the last however long. Um, so I translate from Gandhi back into English so that the consultant can then uh, work on it and, and pick it up and help us improve it. So that's that's why it takes a long time. It's not just understanding it, translating it, and pushing it out the door. It's, it's all these subsequent processes that take so long. And finally, when the consultant's happy with it, you think, okay, we're good. We can put it into the hands of the committee. They still have to review it. They have to be happy with it. They have to accept it and sign off. And when they're done, we start typesetting. That means laying it out on the page um, for printing, and we get it printed. Meanwhile, another member of the team goes and um, records that so that we have the audio as well as the, the written scripture. Okay, And then I go away and bring that together in, a, in an Android app that reads you the scripture and highlights each verse as it's being read. So for those who are only barely literate or illiterate, they can hear it but they can also see it and, wow. and effectively teach themselves to read um, mm. through the app. That's amazing. So that's kind of, and then you've done one book and that was Mark and now you start on the next book and yeah. you keep going till you've got, you know, right through to Revelation. Wow. Um, so that's why it takes so long. And that's why um, you can't do Bible translation six months. Mm. That's amazing. It kind of reminds me of um, a story that I heard about how, uh, the Greek and Hebrew were alpha, alphanumeric languages, and so the scribes would like write it out and make sure that the accuracy was correct, not just in the words, but also by counting to make sure that right. it all no lined letters have been missed. Yep. And this There's is kind no of the yeah the the equivalent in other languages that don't have that same um, built-in check and balance this is a, a similar check and balance the process that you're describing it's really amazing yeah. Yeah. 
is it is. Yeah, it's very cool to hear what goes into it because I guess it's not talked about much and people don't know much about Bible translation, but then you think about it and you're like, oh yeah, just translating it, but to understand all the different steps that go into it. And even like you said, there's so much that happens in documenting the language before you can even get into Bible translation sometimes. Um, yeah, it's quite cool to hear about. Um, so the second submitted question we have is also quite meaty. Um, sorry, but um, it's what advancements have been made in translation work over the past 50 years? And where do you see Bible translation in 50 years time? Well, I was only just born 50 years ago, so I can only answer for the last 25 of them at least. Yeah. Um, but many, many things have, have changed. I would say that the main change, especially within Wycliffe family of organizations, is that we're no longer focused on one person doing one book for one people group. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the biggest significant change. Um, it's about teamwork, and usually the outsiders whether that's ex expats or cross-cultural workers within the same country, those outsiders are only facilitating the process and they're not doing the translation themselves, right? So if you ask me, have I done any Gandhi translation? No, I haven't. I've only done the English back translation. Right? I've never translated one verse, but I've been there and sat through the process for the whole you know, New Testament and more, um, but enabling and facilitating others to do that. So good communicative translation can only really be done by a mother tongue speaker because they're the ones who get the right idioms to the right place and put them in there. And that's what makes it natural. And that's what makes it, uh, what makes people want to read it because it sounds like their language. This is how we would talk to each other. This is us. It's not like one of those um, Japanese instruction manuals translated from Japanese into English that you kind of get the gist of what they're telling you to do, but you have no idea what it's saying, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's not like that. So um, translation work is about empowering others, and it's empowering the local church, building up um, the local people who then effectively become Pauls and Barnabases in their, in their community. So teamwork is, is the biggest thing that's changed. It's changed from a very individualistic thing to a teamwork. Um, it's about a whole variety of products. It's no longer one book that we're working on. And I mentioned you know, everything from comics to Jesus film to Facebooks, dictionaries, grammars. Mm -hmm. Uh, storybooks, history books, you're working on a whole bunch of different things in a variety of media. So we've got to work for web, we've got to work for you know distribution offline on memory cards, we've got to work for apps and the Play Store, we're working with paper as well, print on demand. You know, it's so many different media that we're working with. Um, and then it's often about working in a cluster of projects. It's not just one language in the middle of nowhere. There's a cluster of projects. They're all related. They often go to training events together. Sometimes we come together for um, a one-book workshop. So, hey, let's all work on the Gospel of John at the same time and learn from each other. And when we get stuck, we can help each other and, and figure out better ways of doing this. So working in clusters is, is really good. It also means that one consultant, and they're as rare as chicken's teeth, um, being able to serve multiple teams at the same time, and that's far more efficient. And so learning how to do that, do that well. And now we're learning how to do exactly the same thing, but remotely, and where people are online through Zoom, but we're having to do the same kind of work as if we were there in person. And so that's, you know, a, another change that's happened. Um, so for me, it's all about harnessing appropriate technology at the time and making most of the opportunities without expecting the computer to do it all for you. And I think most people are saying, oh, 
Google can do translate. I mean, look, Google Translate, it works for me, you know, from Korean to English, from Japanese to this, from Chinese to that, from, from you know, French to English and whatever. Um, but the problem is all of those languages are established languages. And we're working with languages that don't have any base or, or big corpora of data that, that, that Google can play with to, to use. Um, that being said, there's a lot of interest in artificial intelligence. People are saying, oh, artificial intelligence will do translation for us. Well, I'm kind of um, a little skeptical because we're trying this even right now in our own project where the computer generates the first draft of the back translation. Right? Are you with me there? Yeah. So Gandhi is there. We've trained the computer about Gandhi by saying, here's some Gandhi, here's some English, and you know, try and work out the patterns between these things. The computer can now generate an English back translation from the Gandhi. Wow. Okay. Now, sometimes it's spot on, and I can read that verse, and I'm thinking, wow, it's done it. it this, it's arrived. And then the next verse I read, and I'm thinking, it's totally muddled. It has no idea what it's talking about. I mean, I had one verse the other day which talked about the bullet carts being circumcised. And I'm going, what? Where did it get that from? You know, it's, it's total gibberish. And that's the thing. The computer does not understand meaning. It can only... Um, make some good intelligent guesses or unintelligent guesses sometimes, mm-hmm. but it doesn't understand the meaning. So it can it can come up with all sorts of gibberish that makes t- no, no sense at all. And I've got lots of examples of this. But um, so I think the the biggest change has come back to that question: is what advancements have been made over the last fifty years? I think the scope of the role of Bible translators has increased massively. Um, And there's teamwork. um, But the temptation is to find some technology to fill this thing so we can tick this need off the box and say, okay, we've done it. Now everybody knows. But that's not how Jesus worked, right? If he wanted to do that, he would have sent us a book. Mm. He didn't. He came, he walked. He had dusty sandals, dusty feet. He walked those those roads. And that's what he's asking us to do as well. He's asking us to go and be the person that God has called you to be in the place that he's called you to and to be there for others so that they can see him through you, which is quite a challenge because we lose our temper. We're, We're not anything like Jesus for a lot of the time. And yet somehow God uses us to be his salt and light in those dark places. And I think that's the challenge to to be there. Um, So in some ways, I hope nothing changes in the next 50 years. But I have a feeling a lot of things will, basically because um, people are so reliant on technology. And I'm all for technology. That's my background. But I want technology to be in the hands of people, not replacing people. Does Mm -hmm. that make any sense? Because Mm -hmm. it's people who reach people. Machines don't reach people. Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at. So, um, yes, the computers and technology are helping in many ways. And yet um, the basics are still the basics and they have to be done and they tend to be done by people. Um, Mm. I think one of the most significant, um, and this, this is true whether it's Bible translation or other things, Putting mobile phones into the hands of people has done more for development in Africa than all the combined development efforts in the in the previous 50, 60, 70 years. Wow. And it's just because information is there and being able to communicate and all these things are really, really important. And 
Christians have often been at the forefront of that and putting technology into the hands of people. I mean, if you think about Gutenberg and, and his press and what that did for the world, yeah. um, there are similar things happening on the app platform with Bible apps, dictionary apps, and other things. Mm-hmm. And those things um, are also very, very significant, uh, particularly in areas where there's a lot of persecution and people are not allowed to have scripture in their hands, but there's no there's no problem having a phone in their hands. Mm. And so there are clever ways also of, of hiding um, the fact that you even have a Bible on your phone, but it's there. Yeah. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah, it I kind hope that of, sorry. The, helps answer the question. I haven't really thought too far ahead for 50 years. I don't think I'm going to live that long, but um, <laughs> hopefully in the next 20 or 30 um, yeah, we're going to see some some good things. But I hope it's not at the expense of seeing people being disobedient to God's call on their life. Mm-hmm. Because it's easy to say, yeah, God's called me, but um, there's Google. Try Google. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah, would it be right in saying quite a lot of the benefit of Bible translation work is the relationships kind of built in that process? Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Relationships, teamwork. And then the other whole thing of, um, you know, we think we're going over there to make a difference, but actually God's got a whole different agenda. He wants to change us. Mm. Right? And mm. that's what's on God's mind. He wants to change us. And, yes, he does some other things through us, but actually he's interested in us too. Right. That's, yeah, so good. It kind of reminds me, um, I, w- I grew up at a bilingual school in New Zealand, and um, – <laughs> And above and beyond the Māori and the English, a number of the kids at my school spoke uh, primarily Samoan or Tongan or Fijian. And a lot of the awesome work that happened at that school that I was a part of is that they would do buddies with uh, members of classrooms where you had one strong English-speaking friend and a non-strong English-speaking friend. And oftentimes, you know, even the translator who might come in and try and help the kid wouldn't have as good of a time as even a five-year-old helping translate for their friend. Um, It kind of reminds me of that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and walking that journey together um, with your colleagues, you're not there to lord it over them. You're just there to say, look, let's, let's do this together. And I remember one of the one of the one of the highlights actually of our uh, time was when a very generous donor in New Zealand um, gave us ten thousand dollars and said, "Use it wherever it's needed." Wow! It's like, whoa! What are we going to do? And I, I remember sitting down with the two guys I worked with, one on either side, and I said, um, "We've got a problem." And they looked really, really worried. And they, I said, um, and "They kind of looked like they're going to lose their job." And I said, "They said, uh, they said, well, what's the problem?" I said, "Well." somebody's given us some money and then they looked even more perplexed. Why would that be a problem? I said, well, the problem is it's a lot of money. And they're going, well, you know, how much? I said, I'm not going to tell you how much yet. The problem is we need to use this money for the benefit of the Gaunts. That's what the money's been given for. And we need to work out how we're going to use this money. And that opened up a whole lot of new, new ideas that we'd never explored before, never thought possible because we didn't have any money, right? <laughs> and suddenly there was too much of it, and it was jolly hard work spending $10,000 over the next two to three years. But the impact of that was massive. Wow. And so just seeing, working with them on ideas and coming, 
coming together because I didn't have the answers and neither did they, but together we worked out ways of um, getting everything that we'd ever created, whether it was the movies, the books, the dictionaries, scripture, people's testimonies, everything we ever created, we managed to put those onto these little memory cards that would go into people's phones. Mm -hmm. And so instead of printing books and then working out how to, we were, we were doing these memory cards and then duplicating them ourselves through our computers. And we would do, you know, 100, 200 at a time wow. and getting those out to the people. Um, I forget exactly how many, but it was like 1,500 or 2,000 of these cards went out over the next uh, two years to people. That is awesome. And it was cool, but it was just being there with them, walking that journey and say, look, here's a problem and it's our problem and we're going to solve it together, you know. Mm, very yeah, cool. Was, well, our next question for you that uh, comes from Alex and I is, how do you see the role of Bible translation in relation to the church and the Great Commission? Um, I see Bible translation as the foundation, actually, to so many of the other ministries um, that the church is involved in. And it takes a long while to dig and build that foundation. A lot of effort goes into making it right. But once it's in place, you actually forget that it's there. Mm. Right? And that's what I see Bible translation like. But without that solid foundation, nothing of lasting value will stand the test of time. And that's why we do Bible translation, because it is the foundation that's needed. Okay? Now, it's not to say you can't have a church without Bible translation. Yes, you can. If that church is to withstand the persecution that comes, if that church is to withstand the heresy that gets introduced by other groups who also have a have have um have their um they're in the game to win people over to their side as well. Yeah. If you want the church to be able to stand up and teach people and disciple people, you need the scriptures in their mother tongue. Yeah. And you need the scriptures, not just that the pastors understand it and tell them what it is, but you need people reading the scriptures for themselves. So you need yeah. the whole congregation to be able to access um, scripture. So that's why Bible translation is so important to the church and the Great Commission. Mm -hmm. But then we also need to look back and think, okay, what about the sending churches, right? Why is Bible translation important to the sending churches? And it's because... If we don't send our best people, we're robbing our own churches of an opportunity for people to grow, for people to see the world in a different way, for people to, to really understand and grapple with God's word. Because when they come back, they really know, you know what it means to, to engage with God's word. Mm -hmm. And so if we don't send our people, then we're going to lose that in the next generation. Does, mm. does that make sense? Absolutely. So I think the whole the whole thing of Bible translation, it's it's part of what God is doing in and through the church at both ends. And yeah. so I think that's why it's so important. Mm. I really appreciate what you said about well, I don't necessarily appreciate it, but I re resonate more with um the element of it's easily forgotten. Um, mm -hmm. the, the primary thing that my band and I have done in terms of our partnership with Wycliffe Bible Translators is to try and raise awareness of the work of Bible translation uh, at every show that we do. And so often we come across 
pastors and leaders in the church where we tell them, hey, this is, you know, this is our band, this is what we do, and we also really support Bible translation and we'd love to have the opportunity to share about it and the attitudes that so many people have thinking, well, why don't they just read it in English or why don't they just use, you know, the King James Version only or, you know, all of these different pervading attitudes that come through and it's like... Wow, do, it's so important that people understand the importance of Bible translation and how much you're right. It is a foundation of everything that yeah, we do. Yeah, yeah, and and it, and it's sad because some people have never really stopped to think about yeah the Bible in any other language than English, right? And and, and some and some particular people in one particular version of it, right? Yeah. And I remember I was at the Keswick Convention several years ago, and their youngest had just. Uh, you know, uh, filled her nappy, and I thought, oh, I've got to take this one. So I took her back out, you know, outside and to, to where our place was to, to get a change. And on the way, there's this guy standing there with this only the King James version of the Bible, you know, this big placard outside Keswick, like, of all places. Yeah. And I, I kind of walked past him at first. And I thought, yeah, poor guy, I've got a clue, has he? And I thought, no, I'm, I'm going to say something. So I turned around. And I went back to him and said, excuse me, so I'm interested in your sign. I said, um, if what you're holding up there is true, I've just wasted the better part of my life. Wow. And he kind of looked puzzled. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, well, there's a whole people group in India, and I've been translating God's word for them. Are you saying they can only use the King James Version? They can't read a word of it. You know? what? Yeah. He says, I've never thought about that. Wow. I said, okay, well, <laughs> maybe you should because it's not just English we're talking about. There's whole people groups who know no words of English, no words of any other language. They're still monolingual. And people think because television goes everywhere that everybody has access to the internet. There are places that we don't have running water or electricity yet. There's still places like that, let alone internet and English. Yeah. So, you know, God, God made those people. God cares for those people. And so they're the ones who have forgotten and the problem is that the, there are just so many and those groups are getting smaller and smaller. Our group had uh, over a quarter of a million um, speakers and that's considered a medium-sized group mm-hmm. in India. Other groups have a few thousand, some of them have still millions and still without God's word. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's huge and people don't realize. So thank yeah. you, Eva Smith, for making that um, carrying that message and continuing to let people know and educate them. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So important. And thank you, Mark, for um, giving us some insight into more of what it's about and, yeah, helping all of us just have a discussion about the perspective around it. It's been really good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, coming out of this, how can people support you? Um, I think whenever you think of support, I think of pray, give, and go in that order, Um, because till God puts something on your heart and you're really praying for it, you're very unlikely to give towards it. Mm. And um, once you start giving to something, you think, actually, no, I need to go. And that's kind of almost the next step. So I think of pray, give, go in that sort of sequence. Mm. Um, You know, pray for for the people groups who are actually working hard themselves. For example, the Gons are working on the rest of the Bible, um, they're a third of the way through the New Testament at the moment, which means there's mm-hmm. two-thirds left, which is half the Bible mm-hmm. um, still to go. But they're hoping in the next uh, seven or eight years they'll complete that, um, which is quite a, quite a good achievement. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but pray for the, the New Testament to continue to be used and that it's not just a book that's been printed or an app that's in people's hands, but that it really speaks to them and that they use it to minister to those who don't yet know. Um, yeah. It's fascinating to see how quickly through social media and the internet um, God's word gets out there. So, for example, the Jesus film that was done, um, again, that was here's the foundation that was there. We already had Luke's gospel. And this team comes in and say, look, we've got some new technology to try out. And um, we, we can do this and we do this audio translation. So even people who are illiterate can have a part in dubbing the film because we're using an audio-based system. In six weeks, we did it from start to finish. We premiered the movie that night wow. you know, in the village in six weeks. And that would normally take six months or more to do it yeah. the, the, written, the written way. So using technology in that way is, is, is really good. Um, so pray that lives would keep being touched. Um, that movie's been watched by more than 10,000 people now. Uh, it's probably close to 20,000 people, which is very significant. Um, um, give. So when we say give, people always think money. But the most valuable resource we actually have is our time, Right. And people think, well, when I've had a career, when I've had a family, when I, then I'll think about doing missions. Well, no, it's too late then. You're too, you're too stuck in your roots. You can't. You've got a mortgage. You've got kids. Yeah. You've got college to pay for. It's not going to happen. You've got to give the best years of your life to God and trust him for the rest. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that's the challenge is give your earliest and your best years, to the years that you do have the energy, the years that you've got the creativity, the years that you've got – um, all the passion that you need to, to be successful and what God calls you to do. That's that's what you need to be given. Um, and you'll be surprised at how God will take those things and use them for his glory. I mean, even mainframe programming skills that I had, and that was my job experience before, um, you know, how God used it in Bible translation. It's just like, what? It, they're so far apart. And yet he has the ability to take whatever's in a hand and turn it into something useful for his glory. Um and then go. I mean, Jesus says go. Go and disciple all nations. And so that's our challenge. And for some of us, it means going across the street to somebody. For others, it means going across the world. But whatever it is, we need to be going. And um, if you can't go, encourage somebody else to go or help somebody else go or pay for somebody else to go or pray that somebody else would go, but go um, however, you, however you go. So that's kind of, yeah, pray. Give, go, mm. and uh, give God the best years, not the rest of the years. Yeah. yeah. I love that, the the best years. That's a really great thought. Appreciate that. One of the things that uh, those who are watching or listening can also do in terms of the pray part is uh, Wycliffe US has a program called the B3P which is, stands for um, Bibleist People's Prayer Project. And you can find that online and sign up. And they'll send you uh, monthly emails with updates on the people group that you're praying for and really great information on how you can better pray. So it's a really, really great resource for praying people. Um, well, we can wrap it up at that. Thank you so much for being with us, Mark. It was awesome to have you. Uh, very, very uplifting for my spirit to hear your stories and a different spin on the whole Bible translation mission. Um, 
from like the technical side. Really, really interesting. And I hope a lot of people really benefit from, from listening to this as well. Um, we will be back next month. I, I think we have Greg Block, who is on the field right now in Thailand with us. And we're looking forward to that conversation as well. Make sure you like and comment and share. It really helps us uh, to get this podcast out further and further so that people can hear about the mission of Bible translation and the stories of hope. Awesome. Bye, guys. Thank you.